0: Yeah, totally. Um, so you've, you've made it to Seattle, that's good. Yep, that's and, very nice. And we have been talking about the distinction between the feeling that you can have. I mean, you can just stand on any street corner with your eyes closed in Seattle and any street corner with your eyes closed in New York and you can feel the difference if you if you notice, hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. If you pay attention to that, you can feel that difference. What is that difference? The actual part of it is is that it's it's real. It's physics, and that it has to do with the fact that frequencies, whether they're resonant or disresonant, <clears throat> or just noise is all in a continuum. And whether the cycle lasts a hundred years, or a hundred seconds, or a hundred microseconds, or a hundred nanoseconds, or a hundred trillionth of a nanosecond, is still all the same, just frequencies, which sure. is what the Buddha was talking about of a Nietzsche. Everything is in some cycle or another. Everything is going up and down. Everything is a change. And if we understand those cycles, then we can begin to forget about whether... At this particular time, the cycle that I'm particularly looking at right now is either going up and I like it or it's going down and I don't like it. In the sense, if we get a broader picture of how the cycles are actually working, then we no longer get attached to the ups and downs of any particular cycle, sure. whether it's an election cycle or anything else.
1: Sure.
0: Isn't that interesting that it's actually part of the Dhamma is to understand this more sub- westernized, more modern version of the teachings of the Buddha of everything keeps repeating? In fact, this is what the word samsara actually means,
2: right? Like the oceans, you know, back and forth, right? It's just, just the back like- and forth, just just
0: the waves of the ocean or the waves of the Republican Party or the waves of the Democratic Party. And sometimes things wave in such a way that it kills them. Things right. die. Things come arise and then they pass away and they may right. not arise again or they may rise big time.
2: <laughs> sure. So I'm going to make a little bit of a leap, but you, I think you'll appreciate this. So I noticed myself starting to become more relaxed just a few days ago. Before I even made the, before I even got here, just knowing I was coming here, lowered the, the temperature. And then on the plane as well, before I even got here, it was like the frequency had changed, even though it hadn't actually changed yet. So I, I thought that was quite interesting.
0: There's an old joke in, uh,
2: uh, within
0: my old, old friends. We were traveling by plane from Michigan to Atlanta for a uh, big psychologist conference. Hmm. And there were three or four of us on the plane together for going from Michigan. And I don't know what airline it was, uh, but the stewardess for Southern. And what the folks on the plane, my friends were, were joking and complaining about was is that every mile we traveled towards Georgia, my accent grew more southern.
1: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I, I see it. Yeah,
0: because I was picking it up subtly from the um, uh, the, the stewardess and and others on on the plane. And that's how things get picked up. That it wasn't just teasing and joking. I mean, it was actually there. Uh, Subconsciously picking up accents and um, uh, other things like that. But let's go back to that issue about New York and the New York Rumble.
2: Oh, and by the way, before we do that, I just got to show you something. This is glass. I think we should call it the Anicha glass. <laughs> See, it's a curved glass. It's like always okay. changing. Yeah, it's. Uh, you sit it down. I can show you, and it's. Uh, <laughs> it's curved. See it? No, I don't know what you're talking about. See how it's uh, tilted? Oh yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, I just thought you'd appreciate that. Anyway. <laughs> my favorite glass here at my grandma's <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes optical illusions uh there is a, a whole set of buildings in uh san, santa cruz or san jose one or the other um that is designed to look like it defies gravity so that water looks mm. like it's flowing uphill and other things like that. But it's just because the uh, carpentry is all wonky jawed But we, our perception is is that the carpentry, see, we're, we're so used to looking at straight lines now that's right. d- used in construction that when we see construction done in straight lines, we think that it's, that it's plumb, that it's true, that it's set. Right, right. That's why the Tower of Pisa can be uh, uh, so striking. But if all the buildings in Pisa were that way, so that they all were bent in that direction, especially if they were mounted on a hill so that they looked like because of the hill and the, all the, the buildings were leaning so that they appeared because of the flat horizon to be tilted, uh, to be upright and straight, then people would go bonkers <laughs> in the actual town because everything, you know, so it's it's visual perception like that, uh, that we expect things to be one way or another. This is why it has to do with looking or observing or being in the here now is what uh, there's so much power in that, that, that what we're doing right now an example of this, you've you heard me use before the term look closely, looking yes. closely.
2: Okay. Or wakey-wakey. Wakey-wakey,
0: wakey. look at what sure. you're doing, yeah. all right? Here's the thing that's interesting about uh, measurements, especially scientific measurements, but we also do it in construction and all kinds of other things. And in fact, when you're tuning in a musical instrument, you're actually measuring the length of the uh uh, the string Hmm. but you're not using it with a tape measure you're using it with a different kind of measuring system but it's still measuring the distance between two endpoints or two things this is an important point to recognize that this is this whole idea that we're talking about is everything is a rumble and everything is a cycle that means that every piece of two four of wood is going to be changing by the hour. The actual distance of the measure. Sure. Let us say that you carefully, carefully cut a two-foot-long tube two before. Sure. Now you take it to the lab. That's got a micrometer that can measure micrometers at uh, for the distance of two feet, and you'll find out that uh, that, in fact. On one edge of the two before, it's exactly right, but on the other edge, it's a little bit off. Because sure. it wasn't exactly square. And yet our mind automatically sees things as plumb and true and square to where absolutely everything is at an angle. Sure. That even the note A that is played by a violin part of the richness of the note a that's played by that violin is because it's not always the same a all the time every microsecond
2: always different
0: and the reason for that is because the ambience of the room bounces that a back at a slightly different frequency changing the harmonics So various musical instruments will sound differently in various rooms isn't that amazing now when we understand that we begin to understand that nothing is fixed that whenever we think of something as fixed it's always fixed just because it's easier to understand that that it's the human mind that wants things to be yes or no or black or white but actually yes and no's and blacks and whites really don't exist nowhere (laughs) Why? Because everything is microscopically at least changing depending upon uh, pressures and temperature changes, which are uh, quite dynamic in an atmosphere that we have. Sure. Okay. So we can also see that some cycles are slow and some cycles are, are, I mean, very slow, like centuries. But in fact, there's one cycle that we know of that's 25 thousand years i forget which one they they call that
2: but that's the uh uh yuga?
0: where the zodiac comes from
2: oh uh, god is it the yuga you know like there's the kali yuga and this yuga that yuga you know about the yugas i i guess i, I i'm not familiar with that word it, it's a hindu uh term and i think they use oh, it in Vedic okay. astrology. And the the Kali Yuga is supposed to be the the one that we're in. Okay, right,
0: all right. We call that an age or an eon for a technical definition, okay? Uh, And that each one of the 12 cycles on this large circus uh, is, uh, is called an age. And an age lasts 2,100 years, something like that. So you had the age of... Uh, Taurus, and you had the age of Pisces, and now you're age having of Aquarius. I mean, age of Aquarius coming into that. Yep. So these age cycles also have an effect that we're, we don't even know how to measure.
1: Sure.
0: We don't know these kinds of things or whether they have any effects or not, but we do know that there's one set of frequencies that we can say that's from, uh, let us say, uh, in the range of less than a second, right down to the half-second cycle, Hmm. all the way up to about 20 to 40 cycles a second. There is that range, okay? The range is overlapping the low end of the hearing range, but then it goes lower and lower and lower than that, okay? And that actually uh, they have been experimenting with electronics to have carrier waves that are at such a low frequency that the whole planet will vibrate with the carrier wave so that the uh, submarines at the deepest depth would have the ability to communicate with the mainland. And they put up one of these big antennas. They had to dig up hundreds of miles of forest and all kinds of things up in the North East territory of, of uh, Michigan. And once they put the thing in operation, they just had so much mail. Everybody just felt lousy. <laughs> <laughs> and that they could well, say that I could feel lousy at a particular time of day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they and they would easily trace it back to the US Navy had put this antenna in in the ground that was vibrating at, I'm not re- sure to remember what the frequency was, but it was around about a half a second wavelength. Wow. Well, so and it was just yeah. so disruptive to people. It felt really lousy, the whole, you know, wow. <laughs> part of the state. This was back in the 1960s. It was big big news back then, especially if you were in the Navy.
2: Yeah, totally. So this connects back to the New York Rumble, you know. It does, exactly,
0: because the New York Rumble is rumbling at about those frequencies. Right. That's the rumbling range, is that rumble of big cities is a rumbling in the range that is, um, let us say, detrimental to the human psyche because it gets picked up by the body and and everything now when people first go into new york they say it feels exhilarating it feels exciting it's the big apple it's got it the the place is a buzz it literally buzzes there's a frequency there in in really big cities and depending upon the various kinds of transportation that they buzz differently Because uh, 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 taxicabs and automobiles have a different frequency buzzing than city uh, buses and trains do, really? and in fact trains are at a really, really low frequency. So that well, you could actually uh, hear the uh, uh, the intermediate frequencies within the click, 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 click. That's how slow it is. But it really uh-huh. does affect heartbeats, rhythms all kinds of things within us the reason that it's important to recognize this is because we can use it as a tool Mm -hmm. this is part of one's power is to know what's going on uh, at that uh, frequency levels Mm -hmm. so that we can uh, let us say raise above it or take it into consideration rather than being Annoyed and driven by it without having a clue about what's going on. That we are uh, in our environment now in the time of the Buddha, this whole issue didn't really exist in a way, except that it did. He could even see it and feel it in the the small cities that they had at the time. Hmm. That's why you still want you to go out to the forest, which is where you're headed. Right. But you're making an intermediate stop now in Seattle to sort of like a two-step operation coming from busy, right. busy, noisy, noisy New York down to an intermediate. When you get out yep. to the por- forest, it'll be like, wow, what a relief! Yeah. <laughs> almost like cover- taking the big, heavy, hot blankets off.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And just a brief comment on that. Um, oh, can you hear me, by the way? Yes, I can hear. All right, great. This- Sound okay, cool. Um, so um, uh, it was. It's interesting. You know, one analogy I thought of, you know, based on how much easier it seems just to practice, you know, here in Seattle, is it's like I was training with a weight vest on. You know, and and if you're trying to go for a run with a weight vest, and you're just starting to run, it feels really hard. But then once you get out, let go of the vest, you're like, oh, wow, I'm going pretty fast.
1: That's
0: exactly way. right. Trainers yeah. do that with, yeah. uh, um, in, in fact, um, one in particular is tennis will use uh, wrist bracelets that are yeah. heavy, heavy, one or two pounds, maybe a kilo or more. All right, and, and what that means is, is that then when they're out there swinging their arms with the tennis rackets, they get them really powerful, but it, it gets the arms tired quickly. But they do that, and then they take those wristbands off and walk into a match, and now they really feel really free <laughs> because they've got yeah. the muscle behind the buildup or uh, the actual stuff. This is exactly the way that we would think about it when Bhikkhu Buddha Das about, talks about when you're sick, that's a real good opportunity to practice. That's one of those times right. when you've got extra weights. But now we're recognizing that New York City and living there has its own weight to it. Yes. Yes. It's, it's got a weight to it. And so um, practicing in Seattle is like uh, taking half the weights off. Great. Right. In the island, it's all gone. And then and then back in the island, now you're back to uh, 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 no more weight so that you're operating at a normal level.
2: Yeah, totally. And it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned the energeticness, the energy that you get from going to New York. I think you also get a lot of energy from letting go of that weight. That's you the know. whole
0: point of it, is, yeah, is that, yeah. that it is a... It is a build-up strength just to um uh to put up with it okay like when one's sick and we really get the strong mind going when we're sick then when we get well now that whole ability kind of jumps up the same thing just getting out of new york for an average new yorker and it's like a huge weight is taken off and the uh the 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 power or the strength that it took to carry that weight around. And I'll tell you another one, and that is, is that uh, people who uh, If they keep track of it because it takes a while, there's a lot of dynamics in dieting. But one of the dynamics is, is that after someone loses about 50 pounds, they all of a sudden feel like they can do things that they couldn't do before. Like a newfound strength where there's actually uh, the the body gets toned up and they can feel the muscles and before there was only flab but now they can actually feel the muscles and they can actually surprise there's muscles in there Sure. because the, uh, of the weight loss and so that's one of the benefits is that they actually do physically and mentally feel better because of the um, the removal of the weight right but that also means that uh that while they were fat that they were having to do extra exercises and and had
2: gained strength that was never apparent to them because they were always carrying the load yes well it's actually funny you say that because sometimes at the gym I'll see a fat person lifting a lot of weight right Mm mm-hmm You
0: know, I can be so heavy and and still be so strong. The answer is is because he's got better muscles than you do. He's just got them well padded.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And it might be that they actually used to be really fat and now they're just fat. And so (laughs) right. So So that's right. So
0: converting that fat to muscle, but then the other fat that's left still hides all of that muscle anyway. Yep. Yeah. But it's still, it's still there. There's still muscle and even fat people who don't work out are still still genuinely strong just because they have the uh, constant experience of walking around carrying an extra hundred pounds that you could not pick up and put on your backpack in 100 a, a pounds of, of uh, weight on your backpack and just walk around normally like that. You really want to take that thing off because you know the difference. And the fat yeah, guy gonna... doesn't feel the difference. He doesn't notice it until the weight comes off. And then he says,
2: wow. Sure. So I have a question about that. So, so you've so you mentioned a lot like these frequencies that can pull you down, you know. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts and frequencies like, say, like the frequency of the Dhamma, you know, like a really positive, wholesome frequency and how people get attenuated to that, you know, and, you know, get attracted
1: to that and that sort of a thing. Um, the answer is, is that you're looking
0: at it upside down or backwards. Or another way of thinking is is that you're looking at an attainment or how does one come from here up to there? That's the completely wrong way of looking at it. That's your typical Western way of looking at things. There's yeah. another way of looking at it. And that's why we call them uh annoyances, defilements, hindrances obstructions, fetters, outflows. I mean, you've heard from one place or another all of these really weird English words that nobody uses other than in Buddhism, but they're all pointing to a major teaching of the Buddha. And the, uh, the analogy will then be, uh, uh, imagine a hot air balloon that is ready for um the well-dressed uh actor uh who's playing the part of whatever the musical that are in like uh, around the world in 80 days okay how has that hot air balloon stayed on the ground while this guy and all the people around are having ceremonies two things one sandbags number two big hefty Heavy ropes are yeah. holding that bag of air and its basket down.
1: Got then it. the guy okay.
0: climbs in, okay, now you got my point, oh, all yeah, right? It. He climbs yep, yep. into he the rope
2: and it goes.
0: And then he cuts the ropes <laughs> and it goes up naturally because it's full of hot air. Sure. Okay. With all of this breathing going on, you expect a good Dama dude to be full of hot air. Therefore, all he has to do is cut loose and off he goes. Is that not a better analogy or what? It's that we cut the defilements, we cut the fetters, we let go of our rights, rules and rituals and way things are supposed to be. That's what's limiting us. It's the rumble of human civilization. All of the ways that people are supposed to interact with each other. These things are coming out of the instinct, the nesting instinct, and the Buddha called it sila basa paramasa. It's one of the major fetters. when sure. you cut that fetter, all oh, are you free. But you still are able to maneuver yourself in public because you're out there making sure that you're not going to run into anything, but you're you've got freedom that nobody else has because everybody else is following the rules and they've got thousands and thousands of rules to follow. (laughs) Sure, sure. And so this is one of the uh, ways of looking at it is just just let go. And we naturally start to float. It's the baggage that's keeping us grounded. Sure. That's it. That's the entire teaching of the Buddha right there. (laughs) Dukkha is what you're carrying. Dukkha Naroda is when you turn it loose, let it go. Relinquishment automatize one of the poly words for it don't have nothing to do with with, uh with mara anymore just throw it out that's like sandbags is the analogy there
2: right just get rid of them throw
0: them out just throw them out
1: (laughs) yeah so i'm
2: curious do you have um other students that have like been in a big city and then left and what kind of Things have you seen when that's happened?
0: Uh, Not generally. Uh, No, most of them. In fact, the four four or five friends that I've got in New York, I don't really want to talk about that. I don't want to uh, put ants in their pants when they don't need it. But since you were already out of town anyway, I thought I'd let you in on this.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, sure. Very cool. Awesome. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, so the, the the city one lives in has a major influence when we're not paying attention. But when we are paying attention to it, it's like, you know, when you see somebody has shot an arrow at you and here it comes flying at you, you don't freeze in fear and let it hit you. You stand out of the way. Okay. So when that rumble of New York is happening, you can stand out of the way. And right now, Seattle's pretty far from New York. So you've gotten out of the
2: way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I sure am out of the way. You know, and so I'm curious.
0: Go ahead. Okay. We were going to talk about seclusion, which is back to the
2: forest. Go ahead. Great. I really want to hear about that. But just, I guess, one last little comment, then we'll go into seclusion because that's exciting to me. But <laughs> that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> but um, you mentioned earlier that um, if you're aware of the Rumble, you know, you can still be in it, but, like, be apart from it. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit?
0: Um, one... <laughs> One of the reasons why people want to have apartments in certain parts of the city is due to the issues of transportation. But Adamadu is going to look for the part of the block to live in that's as far from transportation as he can get, which means uh, an inexpensive high floor on a side street that's several blocks from the subway. Or more. Okay, this is what I mean that you, you get away from it as best you can. Um, uh, actually, this fits right into seclusion. This is it. Right. How can we best get secluded? Uh, the Buddha actually talks about it in this macro way that we're discussing now is that there are four kinds of places where the monks should not stay. One is a place where there is armed conflict in a war zone. Monks don't stay in war zones. You know, the whole zone is like, <laughs> how far can we walk and how long a time to get out of the war zone? But in fact, We want to find out if if this area is destined to become a war zone, and we'll leave before it becomes a war zone. Okay. And the same thing is true with famine, that in fact getting out of famine is even a better idea because one, the monks are not going to be fed very much, and two, what they are fed is coming out of some child's mouth possibly. A real issue. And so, therefore, they should be getting out of uh, uh, those kind of areas. Pestilence, you know, the Four Horsemen of the Acropolis, those kind of places the Buddha knows about in the sense that monks should actively avoid going into floods, going into pestilence, or being in pestilence, war, uh, any of that kind of stuff where there's extra added burden to just being alive, to get away from it, walk away. Uh, then, in fact, I have an old poem that I used to say long ago because it it actually fits kind of in a nomadic lifestyle, but you've heard uh, the story of when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yes. Right? Typical American. Yep. But then there's the other way of doing it, and that is when the going gets tough, the bard go drinking. <laughs> now that's the African and the uh, Asian way of doing it. Mm. And then for the Buddha, when when uh, uh, the going gets tough, the Buddha takes a hike. <laughs> you pick up your robe and ball and just walk on by. That's the whole idea of it. That in fact, this is part of the reason why Buddhism has spread so well so far It's because guys just get tired of what's ever happening in this particular place and take a hike. (laughs) So, always then, taking a hike means getting away from the worst of what society has to offer. Which is always then going back to the issue of going towards seclusion. Away from busyness, towards seclusion. And so uh, there's also a responsibility in a way uh, that's met, say, in village Thailand by having a distinction between forest watts and village watts. And that even in Bangkok, it's nothing more than the whole idea of the village watts uh, go into competition with the other village watts. Hmm. And so that's why the. In fact, at one time Bangkok was known as the city of temples, because there was hmm. a um, a military high ground mound that uh, was well armed. But it's now a tourist point for people to walk up to that point, and they look out and they just see what looks like a sea of temples. Well wow. now that's no longer available because now there's so many high-rise buildings in Bangkok that they obscure the view. <laughs> right <laughs> can't that right. it. it's so many temples the way that it used to be. But back to the idea of the village versus the, the city-wide or the uh, the village-wide, is that the young boys of the village would go to the village-wide on a regular basis with their family, and then when it was time to ordain, they would go to the village-wide but after they spent some time in the uh, what, getting used to things, then uh, according to the abbot, the abbot would send them then to a forest what, to get sure. them out of town,
1: sure.
0: and that he may stay out of town in that uh, forest what, or maybe another forest what, because there's the, in this whole forest what network, and the sure. guy may not ever come back and stay in a village what, until he's much older. All of the watts in the West were designed around that they are actually village watches, with very little uh, distinction. Uh, an example of that is what Meta is a forest watch, and what uh, uh But these were established by Westerners intentionally to be a forest watch. Good mm-hmm. luck with that, because <laughs> they are highly attractive to people, and so they become tourist attractions anyway. Oh no! <laughs> but all all of the other watch uh, were intentionally designed to be there for, uh, what uh for the the Brit, the Lao lay people or the Thai lay people who had immigrated to the U.S. or to the West, mm. which means that they normally have from fairly senior monks, mm. because senior monks are the kind of monks that you will have in the uh, uh the 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 city watch, because they're well enough off to, uh, I mean, mentally, that they can handle the crap that the uh, ordinary people throw at them. But for the training, we want the monks to stay away from ordinary people and stay out in the forest so he can stay in seclusion. Welcome to your island paradise (laughs) on behalf (laughs) of the sangha is to get out there and get away from it all.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally.
0: All, all of the city rumble that's either coming uh, from the tires of the cars or out of the mouths of the audience.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky to be able to do this, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And so now we're looking at what's the value in seclusion. The value of seclusion is going back to the issue of the weights, the weights we were talking about, the rumbles, the fetters, the mental fetters, etc., like that. Even down to the guy who loses 50 or 100 pounds feels so much stronger without ever having gone to the gym. Right. Because now he's not carrying so much weight. All of that has to do with, well, why then seclusion? The answer to that is is that if you're going to learn to play tennis, you don't start playing tennis with big, heavy weights on your um, wrist. You want to learn to move naturally. That's the same thing as seclusion. So actually when we're saying that is, is that we want to get uh, away from all of the external hindrances so that we can deal only with the internal mental hindrances sure. and we can get very very good at that then we can go and start piling on the weights Sure. but we need to stay out into the forest monasteries for a while so that we can really deal with the hindrances in other words the easiest way to, to deal with the daily news is to not hear it. Right. And once you get really, really good at not caring about the daily news because it's been years since you heard it when you start hearing the daily news, eh, you don't care.
2: (laughs) It's true. It's true. I've been reducing my news content just more and more. And we have the news on today for dinner. And I said, I really don't want to watch this. This (laughs) And and my grandma just changed it to a music channel, which is much nicer, you know. You know, and,
1: yeah. yeah, it's funny
2: because it's amazing because, you know, and this kind of gets back to the frequency a little bit. But like uh, it had on like a, a video about the assassination of the president of Haiti. I don't know if you saw that in the news, but, you know, and it's this horrible thing. And I'm like, can we please not watch this? And my grandma changes it to easy listening. Was the name of the channel? And it's just this nice, peaceful music mm-hmm. and the whole mood. Changed as soon as that happened. You know, it was really uh, something.
0: <laughs> yes, and uh, you picked up on the change of the mood, and your grandmother may have not noticed.
2: Right.
1: Or maybe when not we start
0: picking up, when we start picking up on that stuff, it begins to give us that wow factor. Yes. Yes. Like, Wow, look at the way this this whole planet and everything in it works. There is a, (laughs) uh, how to say it, Uh, a set of uh, very, very few uh, interacting physical laws. And those very, very few interacting physical laws that we know about creates this entire thing. This whole yeah. show is created primarily through strong nuclear force, the gluon that keeps two uh, protons together. We don't, still don't know how that operates, because protons naturally repel each other, so how can you keep them together? That's the strong nuclear force, and that's the guiding principle behind it all, and you can equate that to human instincts at the instinctual level, is that's the self preservation instinct? That's which keeps sure. us alive when all of these forces are designed basically to tear everything apart. Right. I what think, is uh, it that keeps these two protons together? That strong nuclear force. That's the big issue because all of the others come from that, including the, nucle- uh, the weak nuclear force. That is the electrons going around, and how do they go around, and that's directly related to electromagnetic, but also the weight of the protons have to do, and the collection of them together, with gravity. And sure. so all these four forces, gravity, electron, uh, uh, electromagnetic, uh, um, strong and and weak nuclear forces, that drives everything, but it drives it in such a rhythmic cycling that we've been talking about and some of these cycles are for hundreds of years one of them we know of this 25,000 there's probably even longer cycles that we don't even have a clue of yet right right but the procession of the equinox they've known about that they know about the yearly cycles they know about the moon cycles. we know about um, a menstrual cycles (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not talking about white guys in blackface walking around the South.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, that's an old Southern joke, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> All, everything right. is in cycles. Everything is constantly in motion, constant cycles. And it's, when we can't see that cycling... That we think, oh, no, things are going bad. Okay. But basically, no, things are going just fine. Why? Because uh, the humanity on the planet Earth is slowly, slowly, slowly waking up. Sure. We're slowly, slowly, slowly figuring things out and everything goes through the cycles the Gutenberg press went through its cycles and now guess what we have exactly the same thing with the Internet with the various cycles that it's going through but eventually much of the crap of the Internet will get thrown out and most of what you can trust I mean already people uh, have a lot of discernment you know which sites to go to and which sites to stay away from okay and because of that uh Human knowledge is growing, which means magical thinking is in danger. Sure. That, in fact, at the, at the political level, you can see that's exactly what's happening with the Republican Party. They have relied so long on uh, keeping people emotional that that's their only game in town. They cannot go back to the—at least the Democrats have uh, the intellectual part— which would be also the um, the altruistic to where Republicanism is turned almost totally selfish. Why? Because of the self-preservation mechanism, because everybody's afraid and all of these other people, immigrants and whatnot, are enemies. Take America back again as if it's been stolen by brown people or something. Right. So it's all emotional but many people can see right through that why can they see through it Well, because humans are waking up 400 years ago that was the standard fare in fact everybody would just go along with what they were told they were afraid back in those days what people were afraid of was hell sure people are not afraid of hell anymore right Right. I mean, you hear kids talk about how bad things are in the, in the Baptist churches in the 1960s that their whole life was hooked on hell. That was the, the, the way that it was. I mean, hell was the big deal back in the 1950s when I was forced into church. <laughs> but um, now, uh, hell is not much of an issue other than a joke. It's just a cuss word now. Nobody believes in hell anymore. Even Christians don't believe in hell anymore. And I say that that's the waking up. That's the process of humanity waking up. That the church no longer has the power and control over you after you're dead. But people don't believe in hell so much anymore. They're beginning to understand that hell is a mental state that you can go in and out of. we don't like
2: the way things go so uh, a comment so you mentioned earlier that you know the strong nuclear force you know is at the center of you know a lot of this so all of it so you know one thing this recall makes me recall is the teaching of john buddha dasa that nature is dhamma
1: Mm -hmm. right
2: and um you know, I yes, think I
0: like, just took it to a deeper level. He says, nature is dominant. I said, dang it, where's my physics book? I'm going to go find the dominant.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, if you're in seclusion or even if you're just in nature, you know, mm-hmm. like today, I was sitting outside my grandmother's yard, you know, and I was just really you know, appreciating the trees and the flowers and all of this. And I, I find that also to be a really important part of, of practice and the experience, you know? So like, you know, when I'm, you know, out of, cause when we'd have like ceremonies, they would be way out of town in the middle of nature, you know, in the middle of, you know, seclusion. And that natural environment is a very important part of it because
1: mm-hmm.
2: there's a certain like wholesomeness just in that, beautiful nature, and I'm curious to hear from that. And it's
0: on many levels. Yeah. One of the examples of that is is that when you have trees and plants around, then they clean the actual air. The the carbon dioxide oxygen exchange is much more local. That's why uh, being on an island, being uh, close to the sea and being in trees the air is good. Yes. Also, there was a, uh, this was true, I think, back in the 1970s. They don't sell them so much anymore, but there was an ion generator or ion things, uh, electronic devices that were designed to uh, improve the air operating with electromagnetic. You may not, a, it was kind of a fan. I've bad. heard
2: about this, like the ionic breeze or something like that. Right. Exactly. A, uh-huh. I used to see those commercials when I was a kid.
0: Yep. Precisely, okay. So that whole point was about the fact that plants emit oxygen in ionized form. That it only becomes oxygen as a molecule, O2, outside of the plant. This is something that they look at. And so these ionizing uh, things is giving you the most natural oxygen that's already not bonded when you breathe it. So that uh, uh, it's it's like extra quick. Oxygen energy. Okay. because it's not in uh, it's in ionized form. It's not in molecular form, so that's one thing the next thing is is that plants actually absorb the, the kind of sounds or radiation that we have been talking about At very very low when we talk about radiation we're thinking about re- heat radiation which is uh below um visible level but above radio radiation okay but uh uh radiation is there even okay I'll show you an example of some slow radiation. Okay, the ra- this is what I mean. This is radiation. It's radio frequency. It's just a very, very low radio frequency. <laughs> okay, this is the kind of stuff that plants pick up excellently. Because their leaves are just swaying in the breeze and blowing in the leaves but but there's sometimes I see the leaves blowing in in one way and another, and there's no air. There's in fact, that's one of the things that I'm looking at constantly is what are the leaves are doing? Mm. How are they vibrating? and they actually vibrate when cars come by. taking mm. off I'll, I'll,
2: I'll look for that.
0: Taking up the vibrations of the cars and and taking it into the plant so that humans don't have to deal with it. Because otherwise the humans are going to get hit with all of that tire rotation radiation. This is really amazing. So look at the value then of plants. This is what's so valuable about the forest is, is yeah, it, it yeah. helps in so many ways it helps our breathing <laughs> it gives us good clean air and it also um modifies all of the uh frequency radiations at those low frequencies and this is why it sounds quiet in a forest because all the trees are sitting there absorbing all the radiation yeah. And also, the further deep into the forest you go, the less radio frequency radiation. For instance, they don't put cell towers out there. This stuff also has a a slight effect. Uh, Another example of it is, and in fact, this is a major issue, and that is AC current frequency, which gives us the hum that you can hear in microphones when microphones are uh, not properly shielded from that radiation that is uh, emitted by the electrical systems. So getting away from electricity is also beneficial. That's also part of the seclusion. Now in Thailand, it's at 50 Hertz, and in US it's 60 Hertz and 60 cycles per second. Um, is actually in the audio range. That's why it's called a hum. It's because that's what we hear. We hear a hum. But guess what? That hum gets more than your ears. It also gets your whole body, and the whole body is an antenna like this. And so we pick up that radiation from um, electrical stuff. When you're out on the island, you're uh, fairly well secluded from that right and that's a good thing too so look at how much value then we have by going out in seclusion just the physical radiations never mind it we're also secluded from the news and from the noisy neighbor and from the electric bill and the rent and all of the other stuff that just keeps the mind so clouded and busy all the time totally totally mm-hmm Now what happens with people when they have too much seclusion and that happens from time to time and when we say here too much seclusion we're talking about more seclusion than they know how to handle to where in our stuff we actually are inviting this seclusion so that we can get things cleared out most people don't know the value of it and so when uh, like in some snowstorms people will have what they call cabin fever they right. go start raving mad there's five or six of them uh, teenagers or whatever that's up in the wilderness and now they get snowed in and then when they get dug out in the spring they've murdered each other Right, right. and there's stories about that kind of thing because they don't know how to take care of each other and everybody is freaked out and afraid but here it's just the opposite is is that we're going into seclusion for the value of the seclusion. And by doing that, we can get the mind also ready for that in the sense that there is now truly in seclusion, no place to go and nothing to do on a really physical level. Right, right. At a real physical level, out in seclusion, there really is no place to go and nothing to do. You move yourself back into New York City, and all of a sudden, there's all kinds of places to go and all kinds of things to do. And the whole city is humming to get you to go do it.
2: Right, right. And it's pushing you all the time. Yeah, Yeah.
0: completely motivated. I mean, that's the whole point of the city is, is that it has a quality of motivation for us that you can actually rid yourself of. Physically, by going into seclusion, and then knowing that you can also rid yourself of that out of your own mind. Sure. That's the real issue of the seclusion. That means also that by ridding yourself of that kind of thing, that's also then one of the other fetters that keeps your um, basket and air balloon tethered to the ground yeah. and so well, when you yeah. can cut that motivation that keeps you tied into society motivating you to go do something in society then you can begin to float free this is why hermits yeah. really like it they don't want to go back to town
2: right, right.
0: Serpico, he got out of New York City and he went into the mountains of Colorado. He would not come out, not even for an interview. (laughs) I'm talking about a, uh, um, what's his name? Alan. uh, uh, A a movie Al Pacino movie. Serpico, right? So he's one of the examples of of, let's get away from it all.
2: I, I have a friend who did that. Um, she lived in Brooklyn for a long time. She was an engineer and she uh, got into the plant medicine world and she ended up completely leaving New York, no intention to ever return, just nothing. And she leads beautiful ceremonies now that have a lot of Tibetan, are very inspired by Tibetan Buddhism as well. Mm-hmm. Um and um, and she was one of my influences that actually led to me speaking with you because you got me really excited about Buddhism again, you know.
0: Well, now yeah. you recognize that at this level of Buddhism, yeah. everything is Dhamma. Yeah, everything yeah. is Dhamma, even down to the way the physics works and influences us. And if we understand that as part of nature that can help us let go of whatever piece or portion of a cycle that we had gotten attached to because it was either going up and we liked it or down and
2: we didn't like it, or vice versa. And also to comment on your point about the motivation, you know, it's interesting. I have a friend who who visits New York sometimes, and, and he said that when he goes, he feels like there's a vacuum attached to his wallet, because he's always finding ways to spend money. And, and that's how I feel, too. Like, I get motivated to buy crap that I would never buy, you know, on the island. Like, I'll, I'll decide, you know, I really want this one specific soda that I like. And I'll walk 10 minutes out of my way to a specific store where I can get this specific soda that I would completely not care about if I was on the island or even in Seattle. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's amazing how, how you, you get so motivated by these sensory objects, you know, that that are available. And to just be removed from that, the motivation yeah. just absolutely. Because yeah. while you're in Seattle, you might have had
0: enough motivation to walk 10 blocks in New York, but you certainly don't have enough motivation to fly to New York to get a soda.
2: Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is also Another aspect of the seclusion is, is that not only are we secluded from everything in general, we're also secluded from the unwholesome states of our own mind, like the soda. There's another example of this that I found when I was staying at, really at the back of Wat Suan Mok. It was a good 20-minute walk to the front of the Wat, because okay. it was, you know, climbing up and down mountain trails or at least hills, not real mountains, uh, 400 meters, that's mountain enough. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: So, um, uh, and all of the other back trail part of its cause not even bicycles would go back there. This is all just foot traffic. Uh, and so the idea then is, is that I'm hungry But I don't I don't care enough. I mean, that's just too much work to go out to the front of the lot where the food stalls are to get something to eat and to walk back to the back of the temple. Sure. Now, that's secluded. If you want to go on a diet, that's the way to go on a diet, that your next bite is a 20-minute walk.
1: Sure, sure.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's
2: the same with AA. You know, they say, get away from all your friends that drink.
0: You Precisely. Know,
2: because this if is the whole
0: thing. Up. This is the value of seclusion. Yep. Is, is that when you're far enough away from the stuff that would normally be, uh, let us say, a motivation for you, now is no longer motivational. Right. So you can see then that we're talking about the kind uh, I think we've talked about the law of karma before, because the Buddha was really big on the on the law of karma, but not the, the version of it that the Hindus had. The Hindu version goes like this. Good action gives good results, and bad action gives bad results. And then their next kicker is no matter what. Period. End of story.
1: Mm. That's it.
0: And the Buddha says, yes, there is good actions that do give good results. That's possible. And there is also bad actions that will get you bad results. Spitting on a cop will get you some bad results. <laughs> sure. But the, most of the results are mixed. It's a mixed bag out there. Unintended consequences. Um right uh collateral damage uh, you know the whole nine yards of it every cloud has a silver lining we all know that a lot of actions are quite mixed that when a penalty flag goes off it's a big game half the people like that penalty flag half the people don't is that a good or a bad action that penalty flag it depends upon who you ask because everything is just mixed everything is just in turmoil everything's in a cycle but then there's the fourth kind of comma and that fourth kind of comma is neither good nor bad, and it b- leads to results that are neither good nor bad. But this is the kind of action that leads to the a- end of action. The-, the comma that ends, comma. Mm. Now, most people get really confused when they hear that because that's a big statement of the Buddha, comma yeah. that ends, comma. The action that relates to the end of action. Okay, so here's a clear example of that. Going to the island in Washington State and staying there will bring the end of the comma of the action of the motivation for the latte or the uh, soda in New York. Sure. That's the whole point. This is why. Uh, The Buddha was especially uh, uh, harsh on Santi, son of a fisherman, and it is translated wrong because it appears that Santi in the English translation was talking about this world and other worlds like Andromeda strain or heavens or hells or that kind of thing. But in fact, in the Pali, it just says going here and there. And the Buddha was quite clear that just because you did it in New York does not mean that you'll do it on an island in Washington State. That it's not right. the same consciousness. Right. And that's the profound teaching of the Buddha that is just so subtly hidden that most people, because they're talking about uh, next world, when sure. in fact the Pali itself just means basically here and there. Mm-hmm. And so this is a way of of the the translations, but that's what we can look at. That this is an example of what the Buddha means by action that leads to the end of action. Hmm. And what we mean there is that, um, imagine this, okay, you've got a really, really busy highway, lots of traffic, many, many things moving out. To stop that, all you need to do is have a couple of police cars put in place and block the traffic and story's over. The action, two police cars moving, you know, in the right. wrong direction. And look at all the action that's been stopped. Okay. So, how many uh, sodas has move, Has one move to Washington State has stopped how many sodas? Many. Yeah. <laughs> now you're beginning to understand how this issue of seclusion works. The seclusion is one of the kinds of actions that leads to the end of action
1: sure.
2: well I, I think what it also points out is that much of karma is a mental construct
1: mm-hmm. like the
2: notion of a good and a bad result is very much a mental thing
1: a and mental that's why pain.
2: yes and the
0: Brahmins had it all wrong in the first place because they were just using that as a law to justify them being Brahmins, which meant right. politically powerful. I mean, you can see that the Brahmins of the Buddha's time were the Republican Party of the U.S.'s today.
2: That's funny.
1: <laughs>
0: With The kicker of, and we were Brahmin because we were born white. I mean, born Brahmin. (laughs) Sorry about that slip. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. (laughs) But then the kicker comes in is is that we were born Brahmin because we were good in the past. And you were born brown because, I mean, non-Brahmin because you were bad somehow in the past.
2: Right. And
0: you can see that, okay, that's the, that's it. That's, that's actually the same thing. The Brahmins version of the law of karma is exactly the way that the right wing Republican, um, um, nationalist, uh, segregationist mentality is the same law. The law is, is that we deserve it. We have this privilege. Because we were born this way, and we were born this way because we were blessed by God, or whatever words they want to use. Ah, okay. But the Buddha comes by and says, wait a minute, Mr. Brahman, your law of karma has a problem. And the first problem that we can look at is what determines a good action. What's good? What is good? And the example that we would use for a good old New Yorker is you buy some stock on the stock market. Was that a good action or not?
2: If it goes up, it was good.
0: (laughs) Ah, so in fact, what we're saying is the result of the action often is what determines the value of the original action. Yes. Yeah. That it's not determined in advance that this is an absolute good action that was guaranteed to get an absolute good result. You don't right. know that on any case. Right. But it's the, it's the result of the action determines whether the the action was uh, good and wholesome or unwholesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is also a big debate, you know, in philosophy is like, did we need to have, you know, atrocity, Like, like... Art, was humanity better off for having had certain atrocities or not, right? You know, like, uh, like for an example, you know, like, to give an example, like the dropping of the atomic bomb, you know, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? You know, like, the justification... I hope I have that, walking
1: right?
0: room <laughs>
2: to walk yeah. away in
0: case they're throwing it in this direction. Yeah. But guess yeah. what? Islands are pretty safe when it comes to being nuked.
2: <laughs> they are, yeah. But But, like, the debate, though, is, like... You know, if they didn't drop the bomb, according to Truman, you know, the war would have gone on endlessly, you know, and more people would have died. And so dropping the bomb actually saved lives. That was the argument they made. But then there's another level.
0: Nobody knows the future. Not from any time, you know.
2: Nobody knows. But what
0: we do know. Is is that Truman was not completely responsible for the entire war, but he was 100% completely responsible for the dropping of those two nuclear weapons. Therefore, we can hold uh, Truman responsible and put that on his record as being a president. Is he killed more people than anybody else on any one particular day or two particular days? OK, yeah. but how many people have killed how many people anyway? So that's I mean, I know that I'm giving Donald Trump's uh, a rationale for why uh, it's OK for Putin to be a bad one well, or, or yeah. a bad actor. But uh, the point um, is, is that that was not really a good rationale for dropping the bombs. Look how if if Truman had not dropped those bombs, what a much different planet this would be in. The question is, would it be in more or less warfare? The answer is whether he dropped the bombs or not, humanity is going towards peace and less warfare. that we're we're beginning to act as a as a species a tiny bit more wisely and perhaps mutual assured destruction was seeing enough duka that they recognized that it helped them to figure out that that warfare is not a good solution to life's problems
2: right and this is the great ironic thing about nukes is they are the most destructive weapons that have ever existed but they've also stopped more war than any other thing ever has you know, Maybe we don't
0: we don't know, but we uh, can uh, benefit from the fact that it's going to go in the right direction, with its ups and downs. Either way, sure. That's getting back to the point that everything is on a cycle, and so literally uh, overall, it really doesn't matter whether Truman dropped those bombs or not, because we don't know. We don't know. We literally don't. No know whether it was a good or a bad action, because we haven't figured out yet how to determine the results of those actions, immediate versus long-term. Right,
2: and we may never know.
0: And we may never know. This is actually what we're looking at now, is ultimately the tenth fetter. That the Buddha talks about the very, very last, uh, let us say the top of the list is, is that everything that we've done with Buddhism so far up until this particular point has been to gain knowledge by looking. Until we begin to look in the void to see what's not there. And when that's left, there's nothing left but the void. Which means there's an end of knowledge there are things that we don't know. And when we're grasping and clinging after the knowledge of things that we don't know, that's just more grasping and clinging, that we have to come to the fact that there's a limit to each one's individual knowledge. And this is why I'm kind of harping on the point that we just don't know, but we can say we don't know, isn't that marvelous that I no longer have to try to figure it out. Right. I don't have to figure that out. I don't have to care whether nuclear weapons are good or bad. (laughs) Right. Because look how much bad feelings the decision brings about on people. Some people really hate nuclear stuff, and sometimes there's some good advantage of it. Why do we hold positions? Why do we take views? Because always our views are built upon the ignorance that we had at the time. Sure. and we will always remain ignorant sure. the question is is can we get happy knowing Regardless. that we're not going to know
2: yep, which is fine it's fine that we don't know
0: we just don't know
2: it <laughs> doesn't make a difference otherwise so
0: those kind of things we will never know and that this is what we would put into the world of imponderables how things got started for instance I don't care how things got started. I don't even care about what happened 300 years ago because it doesn't really. By knowing it doesn't affect anything today. That what I'm doing right now is what affects today. Uh, And so whether Jesus was actually crucified or not, not my business. Right? Good story. But the part about the dead man walking, I'm not sure about, but I don't see the relevance. That's the whole point is, is that old stories don't mean anything except when we get stuck in them. Sure. But if we don't get stuck in that old story, then it doesn't need to mean anything. It doesn't have to mean anything. That is, In fact, when we get stuck in it, that's one of the sweaters that keeps our balloon from sailing off into the wild blue yonder. Sure. Or maybe I should say the wild blue wonder.
2: (laughs) That's a more wholesome way to put it.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So this is the way that we look at seclusion is that the things that we can see that are in our society that are unwholesome things like cities and sodas and all that kind of stuff and we can get a, an escape from that and as we determine more and more and more what is unwholesome like the desire to know whether it was good or bad that truman wants those nuclear bombs or not that's just An unwholesome worry that no one needs to have. Sure. It was a done thing. It was done, what, 70 years ago now? Right. Actually, no, it was done exactly 75 years ago because
1: (laughs) that was the year I was born.
0: 45 or 46. Yeah. -hmm. Uh Yeah, uh, uh, April and August of 46. Maybe, but anyway, yeah, it was before. mid-year of 1945 sure. that was it so because uh, Europe had already uh, closed sure. and they knew something because they did not deploy uh, the troops coming out of Europe into sure. Asia they sure. sent them home and the war was still raging in Japan. Do you know that? That's a major significant thing. Why did Truman not bother to send the guys to uh, help fight the war in Japan? The answer was he already knew he was going to drop the bomb. Right. He wanted that that war over. So all of the guys who were in the um, Eastern Front or uh, in the European Front We're very happy that he dropped the bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima.
1: (laughs) Because that meant
0: that they didn't have to go to the Second War.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no kidding.
0: But back to the point other than the facts that happened so long ago, just knowing the facts is okay. But ruminating over them and trying to figure out whether the facts were right or wrong, good or bad, up or down, who's to blame, and all of that kind of stuff is unwholesome. Sure. Sure. And the only conclusion it could lead us to is which side to join, which is also unwholesome. Sure. That is, in fact, here I am, uh, let us say, with an American passport, and I say it like that intentionally. Hearing news about China and the rise of China and uh, the influences of China and the relationship with the U.S. and China, generally, by holding the old position, I would vote, Yay, yay, yay for America and buy, boo, boo, boo for China on every point. <laughs> now I don't have to do that because I'm no longer attached to America. And so, if there are human beings on the planet that can come up with doing something good, let's celebrate the fact that somebody, someplace, is doing something valuable sure. without the Americans having to feel like that they're being beaten in some competition or another. Sure. Sure. Isn't that amazing that Americans are taught that whenever anybody else does something good on the world stage, the Americans are supposed to feel bad.
1: Sure. I can I mean, use Sputnik
2: yeah. as an example. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah, it would've been nice to celebrate that, you know.
0: Right. And so this is part of the identity that each one of us has that it's um it's very difficult. Just like getting out of New York and going to Washington State has a certain kind of seclusion, getting out of the United States into another country to become secluded from all things American also has an educational value. Sure, totally. But there will always be some place to go that will have unanswered questions. There is always the unknowable. Right. And we can just literally lay down beside it and take a nap. Right. (laughs) Because the unknowable is not dangerous. But we have to get over the uh, instinct, the natural instinct that we have of anything that we don't know is dangerous. Because that's part of the survival mechanism. If you don't know what it is, be alert be on guard it's dangerous i mean isn't that i mean we were uh, literally a species raised that way right alligator eat alligator dog eat dog human eat human if you're not careful right that's why lions sneak up on wildebeest sure. right okay so <laughs> <laughs> they they So everything is is there sneaking up on us. And so we have that feeling of to be alert because there's a lion out there. Mm. But once you've gotten yourself to the secluded island, you don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. So what are we gonna do with all of this excess fear? That we have kept in our society, because there's so much stuff that's fearful in our society. Maybe we can let go of the fear too when we're out here. Let, the it, go. let yeah.
1: it go,
0: let it go, because there's nothing left. There's no fear, nothing to fear out here. Oh, uh, totally. except for the unknown. Guess what? The unknown is not fearful.
1: Hmm.
2: It's
0: neutral. It just is. Yep. But we've gotten into the habit of being afraid of the right. unknown when we didn't know what it was. Now that we know what the unknown is, what is the known? The unknown that we know? We know at least that it's not physically here to harm us. It's not physically dangerous. Right. That, that if there is a snake, it's a real snake, not a magical dragon.
2: Right. Or a piece of rope. Or a piece of rope. Exactly.
0: And so knowing the distinctions, but now that we know the distinction between a piece of rope and a snake, we can relax. Right. Because we know that it's not going to be a magical snake that's coming after us. And that's the teaching of hell. The teaching of hell is if you don't get along with the society, something bad's going to happen to you. Right. And so when when you leave society, you can leave all of the fears of society behind. Allow the fact that there's a whole lot going on that you have no clue about, but it's not dangerous. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can have some freedom out there. You can take a few deep breaths. Wow, it's so feeling so nice. Just to go places, no place to go and nothing to do.
2: Sure, totally. Anyhow, I think I got to hit the hay. It's, it, I, I've been up for a long time. I'm really, okay. you know.
0: <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed our little chat. This has been good to, uh, to get you attuned to the nature so sure, that when me you well. get there, you'll really be attuned to the real nature there rather than the nature of the resultant of the uh, places you've you just left.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll really call you. Here. Yeah, absolutely. I'll call you soon, so I don't know. All righty. Okay, soon. we'll see you. Oh, see you soon. All right, take care. Could be tomorrow, could be in a few days. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. But All right. <laughs> talk, talk to you later. Thank you.